so the, the top craziness on my levels are, you know, you have the, the rush. Wait, we have started a show, right? Yes. Oh, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to hold that thought. Welcome uh, to the Outlaw Radio Show. I didn't know we you are. wanted me to cut him off. Oh, I had no, him on screen. I thought we were just going for it, man. We were just into it here. We were having some fun. I didn't know you were gonna switch cameras. I didn't know Justin was gonna go into like. You should have known that Justin was gonna go into something. Something. Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. Welcome to this dysfunction. I pastor church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, check us out on Sunday morning. Our service is at 1030. Uh, if you're not local but looking for a good Bible teaching church, you can check out online. Our YouTube channel is calvary316.live. Or you can watch our stream on facebook.com slash calvary316. So if you're local, come visit us in person. If not, check us out on the interwebs. I am joined, as always, by the man that needs no introduction. Although, you know, I say that, and then I give you an introduction. Every time. Every single time. Uh, Pope Creighton Vaughn, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. It is uh, good to see you all out there. Um, I haven't waved at the camera like that in a long time. I used to do that every week. I'm going to bring it back. It's the mustache. It's the mustache. It yeah. makes me more approachable, I think. I, I will say, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, put it back on you real quick. Okay. I'm a big fan of, of your get-up today. Because you're you're repping two of my dear friends. Yes, I am. You're repping his productions okay, and Josh Brown. The way so you can see the shirt. Yeah. Um, you're you're yeah, and then you also have the Dark Waters Fly Shop and what does it say? And Guide Service. Yes. So that is sweet. Good old Seth Waters, our our buddy. Yes. Um, Josh like to... is, I believe, first Sunday of November, is going to come down and hang out with us. Oh, seriously? Yeah, he's going to come down and hang out. That's and, very exciting. Um, uh, might do a little bit of worship. I'm going to have him evaluate our multimedia and give us some advice on what we can do to make it better. I think it's a great and idea. It's just an excuse to fly out a brother and, and, and hang. So uh, explain to the audience, just in case they're new, uh, how this works, the cool interactive nature of it, etc. So uh, basically the way the show works is that there are four of us in the room. I bring a topic that they're not aware of, um, and then I will ask a question. That will become the topic of the show for that uh, that week. We will talk about it. Zach will teach a Bible study about it, if it's the kind of thing that we can Bible study about. Um, and then you guys, if you're watching live, can get in the comments either on YouTube or Facebook, which I'm moderating on the computer in front of me. Um, and if you have questions, comments, or concerns about the things we say, which is common, um, you can then put those in the comments, and I will read them aloud on the show uh, if I think they're good or pertinent. Um, and then we can talk about that as well. So you can be a part of the show. Um, yes, yeah, so that's basically how it works. You, you can, can also, also email me. Yeah, email. Beat there you, you go. It. You got me. Uh, you can also email me at popecrayton at gmail.com. That's Pope spelled like the Catholic one. And Creighton spelled C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. I do need to ask you, we were cleaning out the studio you know, during the summer break. We did a little bit of housekeeping. We added the, the monitor. You know, we did, we did a, you know, a little bit recabling. Yes. And uh, threw away a bunch of junk. And I was about to toss the Pope hat. And you were like, no, I'm taking that home. Why did you take that home? Do you do you walk around the house with the Pope hat on? Uh, no. That went into a box uh, with some other things that I've acquired over the years for my wedding night. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe. I can't believe that. I, you know what? You got me there. I didn't. I had no idea <laughs> that that's where that was gonna go, and uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm not gonna touch that one. So we're also joined in studio uh, 
uh, by two of our buddies. Uh, we're joined by uh, Spice Daddy. How you doing, Justin? Spicy. Feeling spicy today. I am. Generally, generally how's your week going? Pretty good. Uh, today was uh, one of those moments in my life where... Uh, you saw an animal in the uh, wild. I saw an animal in the wild that I never thought I'd, I would ever be able to see. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term uh, sovereign citizen. Um, but they I'm are, not. They you're going to have very, to help me. They are very... Uh, how do I say this without offending any? They're they're an odd bunch. Uh, Although you know, if you it, offend, I, I got it. Wait, real quick. If I do feel like if you offend this group of people, our views and audience interaction on YouTube could potentially go off skyrocket. Yeah. This is this is really true. Uh, yeah. So I, I met one today, and I I'd only seen them on YouTube before, and so it was like. Always watching Animal Planet my whole life, looking at these exotic animals, never seeing one, and then seeing one in person, and you're just like, they do exist. So I, it, it was a good day today. <laughs> We're also joined by, uh, I guess, second appearance is second appearance? Yeah, second. Uh, one of our worship leaders at Calvary 316, uh, Mr. Aaron Mott. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing not as spicy as Justin, but... Glad to be here. See, see, the audience can't see this, and the only reason I'm going to point it out is because it's kind of an ode to uh, another one of our buddies, Deal Daddy Derek. But you, you just got to give a little glimpse of these shorts. I mean, these shorts are are loud. Yeah, just yeah, those Perfect. are loud. Yeah, do they double as ba- as a bathing suit? No, but they could. They could. All right. <laughs> uh, Thank you for being on the show. Look forward to your opinion. These guys are with us to help me turn whatever topic we're discussing into a study. And they can uh, um, interject freely, ask questions, provide feedback. Kind of want to start things before I dump it back to you, just on a little bit of a somber note. Um, Just, uh, again, I I just mentioned Deal Daddy, uh, who's a good friend of our show, has been on the show for a couple years now. Uh, Lost his little brother unexpectedly tragically and uh he and his family are in grief and um just brutal just real tough and so just would ask the audience uh just feel like your family and uh just keep Derek and his family in your prayers and um kind of a rough one and so our brother's suffering uh, him and his mom are grieving and uh brother if you watch this or not uh we love you praying for you we're behind you in any way, and I, and I can echo that from the, the rest of these guys. So, uh, Creighton, let's go ahead. Let's try to dive into the depths of our discussion. Uh, what are you wanting to chat about? So, um, <clears throat> by way of intro, there is a, a phenomenon that I had experienced a couple of times in my high school or my grade school education. Uh, and this was at some point in an English class once a year, we would end up studying like indigenous mythology indigenous mythology that would be that's the best word that i can come up with because like one of my english classes and this is not a joke we spent the first full semester talking about the epic of gilgamesh which is boring um and then we would do yeah i don't care um i hate that i hate that story so much um it's partially the teacher anyway we'd always do these and one of the things that they would always harp on is that these indigenous mythologies would always be um, used to explain a natural phenomena that otherwise would be very hard to explain. You know, if you're back in the Stone Ages, you need ways to, like, why a raven is black. 
the story would tell that why a raven becomes black. This is the and second then, week in a row you brought up ravens. The first time wasn't on purpose. Anyway. You've got ravens hovering so over you for whatever reason. a scary thing to say to somebody. But the, you do. This is the, I'm just pointing it out. This is unsolicited. The second week in a row, you've brought ravens into the conversation. I'll tell you this. I'm going to do it next week. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, okay. Um, and in this conversation, at some point, somebody would use that idea that the mythologies are used to, to describe how things came to be to then lump the Bible in with these mythologies that they are already saying or not, they would point to things in the Bible, usually Genesis, that are also stories about how things come to be. Uh, you know, obviously there's a big one at the beginning of Genesis that is how everything came to be. And say, this is just another one of those mythologies that are used to define the world around us because people back then didn't have science to do it correctly. Um, and so I'd like to talk about one of those. Let's, let's do it. So um, at the end of, I think, it's, I think it's actually the beginning of Genesis 9, um, the flood is over, Noah has exited the ark, and you have this um, whole conversation between Noah and God about the flood. And it ends with God instituting the rainbow as his promise to never flood the whole earth ever again. So I would just like to, and I feel like that's an interesting story that you don't get Bible studies on very often. So... Uh, Genesis chapter nine, I think it's verses one through 30, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, I'm looking at that right now and, and, and you got to kind of go way back to chapter six, just to set the context for it. All right. Wouldn't you say? Yes. I mean, and I think that you have the, I take that back. Probably you're the one teaching the study. You decide how far back you want to go. So you would lump in like Greek mythology into, into this, absolutely this conversation. Yeah. The idea is, the idea is basically at least the way that we were taught it when I was in school was that all myths are used to describe natural phenomena. And that would include Greek and Roman myths. Give an um, example, given an example or an illustration. So one of the ones we talked about was about, um, the first black Raven. Yes, I'm going back to the raven. And that one was, uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful white bird that somehow got trapped in a house. And to get out of the house, it had to fly through the chimney to escape from whatever was happening in the house that was not good. And as it flies through the chimney, it, it, it picks up soot, soot right. and turns black. And then now we have black ravens. And all ravens are black because this one was... Whatever was happening in the house, whatever it escaped, it was blessed by the gods in its black form. And now all ravens are black and they are separate from crows and they're better than crows because they did this thing and whatnot. Well, let me take, um, let, let me try so to take yeah. that idea even like one step trippier, if I could. Love that. Um, so like Greek mythology is rooted in like this basic idea of the divine, of, of the divine gods the supernatural and its interactions with humanity. Um, and, and that, that cross pollination of the two, um, you know, from Apollo, Zeus, Hercules, Hercules. And, and then what's fascinating about like Greek mythology and then, you know, Roman mythology, which is basically Greek mythology Greek, with different names with yeah Latin instead of Greek. Yes. Um, is that we, we have actually our own, westernized version of the same thing. And that is the whole Marvel universe. Um, like the, 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 I like Thor is for the most part, a, 
a God that became man and dwells among us. Like, and he's literally based off of a God from the same time, just in North mythology instead of Roman. Exactly. So I'm, I'm going to maybe start this entire, I see why you want to go back to chapter six now. Yeah. So I want to maybe start the whole conversation by making, making a bit of a provocative thought. And this is this, this, I'm going to apologize to Aaron up front because I don't know if he's fully prepared for how weird Justin's about to get. Because oh, so we're about to, to fall right into Justin's wheelhouse. I, no, no, so, no, no. You, you misunderstand my personality and what I get into. When it comes to stuff I take seriously, I'm serious about it. And everything else is just whatever, so... Thanks right. for that. You're very yeah. serious about what we're about to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, because it's right up everything. This is, I, I've taught on all this subject. So I'm, I'm going to start with maybe a provocative thought. Um, and, I'm gonna, and then we're going to pitch it directly to Aaron. <laughs> unscripted, unprepared. So you got the camera ready, right? So I'm going to make a statement. And then we're going to get Aaron's just raw reaction to it. Um, I'm not so sure... Maybe let me say it more definitively. What if Greek, the Greek mythological world is not actually mythological at all, but is a description of the actual world that existed before the flood and the one in which Noah found himself? Now, you're on. That's actually, uh, that's a fair point. That's interesting to consider because I, you know, just off the top of my head, based on, you know, early biblical accounts, early scripture and stuff, it, the supernatural and, and the natural world that we know were, were way more intertwined. There was way more, cr like you said, cross-pollination between the two. Um, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> you don't have to <laughs> buy in full you know, force just yet. That's I mean, I, I'm, I see some... I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's start. Let's start with a very broad idea, and then we're going to dive into Genesis six because I think that's a good reaction. Kind of sets the stage. <laughs> um, when we talk about the pre-flood world, so in case you you know you might be new to scripture or the biblical account. Again, we're in Genesis, the book of beginnings. You know, the, the whole story begins with God's creation, um, a literal, I believe, a literal account of creation mm -hmm. uh, that God made all things. Um, and in him exists all things that were made. Um, mankind being the crescendo of that creation. And then the dividing of man into two genders, male and female. And then the bringing back together of those genders into this beautiful thing called marriage. God's creation of man to be eternal, to live forever, gave them a garden to enjoy. Uh, and, and, and yet gave man one rule. Um, thereby man could express his love for God, a reciprocal love that God had demonstrated towards him, man could reciprocate back to him through obedience. So there was one tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the day you do, you'll die. And if you know this story, you get to Genesis 3, two chapters into humanity, we've already screwed it up, that Adam and Eve sinned. And it was through man's sin uh, that the world fell. We call it the fall. So if you're, if you're working on like the trajectory of uh, this crazy story, uh, you have creation, and then boom, the fall. Uh, the, the next big event in human affairs uh, would be what we would call the flood. So you have creation, the fall, the flood. Now, what's important about this sequence is that if you go through 
uh, the genealogies. And so we have like a genealogy before you get to chapter six, chapter five, Genesis five, is you have the family of Adam. You have this very ex- ex- extensive, thorough, um, documented genealogy of the descendants of Adam and Eve, um, which is fascinating because what that indicates to us, what that reveals to us is that this, this relatively brief, what we would call brief period of, of history in regards to its docu- documentation is actually a very lengthy period of human history. Uh, again, this is kind of the, the drawback of not having the, the numbers right in front of me and Justin or, or Aaron, you, might, you guys might be able to pull this up. But I believe like from Adam to Noah, you're talking about 1,500 years of human history. Like, and we get that because the genealogy. Now, people are like, well, well it says that man, you know, men live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. How is that possible? Well, again, the Bible seems to present this, this dynamic of, of a pre-flood world much different than the one that we have. Um, physiologically, it's different. Um, because it never rained. We're told that God watered the earth through a, 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 a dew uh, and a mist. Uh, there was no such thing as a rain. Uh, it's believed that there was a, what was called Pangea or a, a one continent. Um, God called the earth, uh, the, 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 the matter to come out of the water, and that, that you had one supercontinent. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you actually look at a map of the continents, you can kind of start turning them and putting them back together. And we do know that the continental drift theory is a real thing. Continents are actually moving apart from each other, um, meaning that if you extrapolate this back many years, you could put them all back together. And so the Bible seems to present an idea where you had um, one continent, you had one people, uh, one language, um, subsequently, um, you had a canopy of water vapor. Man didn't eat meat. Man was protected from UV rays. Uh, we see that after the flood, things change. God sanctions men to eat meat um, because th- the whole world has changed. Uh, how much water uh, would necessitate a global flood? Again, a totally different looking globe. We're told that the waters would come from above and from beneath, and I think you have this splitting of the continents as a result. My point is that the, the world prior to the flood, we're talking like 1,500 years or so of humanity. Have either of you guys fact-checked that? Yeah, via um, Houston Christian University, it is 1,656 years from Ada and Adam until Noah's flood. Until Noah's flood. So even a little bit more, mm-hmm. that was sixty, roughly 1,600 years? Right around there. But I mean, think about, first, think about 1,600 years of history. Takes us back to 500 B, 500 AD. Uh, if I'm not much mistaken, that's before germ theory. Right. Like, it's a long I mean, time ago. I mean, think about just the development of... of and you have this dynamic where Adam um, is untainted from sin. Um, you know, what was the intelligence like? Um, what, what was the development of, of civilization and technology? You know, we have four chapters of the Bible. This is kind of a provocative thought. But you have four chapters of scripture that cover 1,600 years. And like um, the only story we have really is uh, Cain killing Abel. Like that's kind of it really. And then one of the most infuriating ones, Enoch. Right. Well, you have that tucked into the genealogy. Speaking of Enoch, where would you place that? I know it's not part of the, the canon, but there are some mentions of the book of Enoch. Like the book of Enoch? Yeah. I think it's garbage. 
Yeah, I would say the book of like, Enoch is, is garbage. Is it full garbage or is it just partial garbage? Well, first, um, there doesn't seem to be like... That's a whole nother topic for another day. <laughs> I don't want to actually get diverted into that particular diatribe. Other, if it's not all garbage, then that would give us a glimpse into that, that time period. Other than to say, I'd just be interested to know how the book of Enoch survived because it would have been written pre-flood. Um, is there a book of the Bible written pre-flood? <laughs> Interestingly enough, th- th- you can make a case, an interesting case, that potentially Job um, is, is in the pre-flood world. That Job is a character because you go to Job, there's no mention of the Jews, there's no mention of the law, there's I mean, like all the things that are missing from it, and it Job's this righteous man. Um, Job could have absolutely existed in the pre-flood world, which by the way, again, if you're if you're looking at scripture, dinosaurs exist. You have a totally different thing. Again, sixteen hundred years of human history that we have very little understanding of. Until you get to chapter six of Genesis. And I'm just going to read a little bit of the text and how it opens. We read, now it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now, as a result of this, verse three And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. Verse 4, There were giants on the earth in those days. Also afterward, which is an interesting footnote that Justin can talk about later. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and born children. So we're we're told that the, the result of this union of the sons of God and the daughters of men produce these giants. And then we're told those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then maybe one of the saddest verses in scripture, verse six of Genesis six. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So this this description of this pre-flood world um, gives us an interesting insight. Now, there are admittedly more questions uh, presented as a result of the text than there are maybe answers. But we are given an interesting glimpse and then we can extrapolate some things out. Uh, Why did God, why was God grieved in his heart that he had made man? And why did God decide that he was going to destroy the earth with a flood? Um, But Noah found grace and is the only one saved. Well, the reason is is what is happening within the human genetic code, within what, what is being yielded and produced. Um, it seems to be, and again, we could we could go off on this. <laughs> and Justin, you could probably do like a series of lectures on this very topic, right? Yeah. I, I mean, th- this is a very weighty idea. Um, if you're Satan, and again, the best way is maybe try to get into the mindset of things. So you're Lucifer. Um, you, um, you have fallen from heaven. 
Um, you've been cast down to the earth. Uh, Genesis 3, in the fall of man, the cursing of man, your sentence um, is not just sealed, that you'll be destroyed, uh, but you're given an indication of the methodology of your ultimate demise. And that is that we're told uh, that the seed of the woman will be your destruction. And this is the first messianic prophecy that we have, that God would provide a savior. Um, we're told that Satan, yes, would bruise his heel, but God would crush his head. So we have this messianic thing, but but the, the, the implications is God's telling Lucifer, I'm going to produce a human being that will be your destruction. And that this human being will be of the seed of man, will be of the seed of the woman, a virgin will conceive. This will be a supernatural birth. Now, how much of, of the full plan did Lucifer understand or not? We're not quite sure, other than the fact that if you get all the way then to Matthew, when Jesus is born, Satan is immediately trying to destroy him, right? So there seems to be some, at least conceptual idea on Satan's behalf of what God's plan is to redeem man and what is his destruction. And it includes the human gene pool. So if you're Satan, and we're told that angelic beings have the ability, we're told in Hebrews, that angels have the ability to take on human form. We're told that they can eat, they're physical. Um, we're told in Hebrews, be careful entertaining strangers because you might unknowingly be entertaining an angel yourself. Uh, you go through the book of Genesis. Angels are all over the book of Genesis. And, and mostly, they're taking on human form. Um, most notably, you get to Sodom and Gomorrah. And you get into this situation where uh, the angels go into Sodom, Lot brings them into his home, and the men of Sodom are wanting to take these men and, and commit sodomy. They want to sodomize them. They want to take advantage of them and abuse them. They're physical beings. They want to have sex with angels. Now, Angels are, are, have the ability to take on human form. God's going to use humanity as your destruction. So if you're Satan, what would be a good strategy uh, to deal with the situation? D distort, dilute, just, you know, poison corrupt, the well. Poison the well. And so when we, when we get this description that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose, and then what is yielded from what I think is a description of of an unholy, angelic, human sexual interaction is these, what, what were described as these giants on the earth, mighty men of old, men of renown, which means that they're, they're famous, they're known, um, what's yielded. Well, again, you get back to Greek mythology. And you have what? You have the interactions of the divine and, and, and humanity. And what is being yielded? Offspring. Offspring. Demigods, men who have supernatural abilities. And so you have being described here over, and again, we have 1,500 years of this happening. Like, why does God have to destroy all of humanity and start over with one family? Is because probably all of humanity was corrupted by that point. And again, we have 1,500 years of this. What did the world look like? Do you have men throwing lightning bolts and big hammers? Like, is the Marvel Universe, is there a reality to that? Like, is that far-fetched to believe that the pre-flood world, you have insane technological advances because man is incredibly bright and smart. The, the tainting of sin is at its infancy in that sense. Like, what did the world look like? Now, you can, you can go on, like, YouTube rabbit, rabbit holes of, like, 
you know, carbon 14 dating of, of like batteries and computers that go back to like, we don't know where this stuff came from or like, and, and then we aliens. get into a lot of aliens. But what if instead of aliens, it's, it's this angelic dynamic with humanity actually described for us here in like the first eight verses of Genesis six at the tail end of this 1600 years, we have this, we had this crazy society. It kind of not to beat a dead horse, but it would also make sense given that the Bible calls them calls the Nephilim, the mighty men of old, because unless I'm much mistaken, uh, mythologies are all set in the past. Like we think of, the Roman mythology is being set in the past, but so did the Romans. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not like, nobody was walking around bragging that they met Hercules because everyone would be like, dude, what are you talking about? That was, you know, whatever, how long ago. All so myth- even like when Truth. the mythologies were being actively believed, they were believing in things that happened in the past, which is why they call them the mighty men of old as opposed to just the mighty men or what I, have you. I think that that's a, a, a profound point and a good point. Um, it makes sense in its in its greatest context, um, and we don't have a lot written about it, but we don't have a whole lot of information in the first five chapters of Genesis. Other than the fact you get to chapter six and you get this description of a really totally different place, right? Which then explains why God would have to. It explains the language used here about God's God's grieving heart. And, and the necessity of God taking very dramatic action. Like, hey, there's, after 1,600 years, there's nothing redeemable. Like, God is going to flood the earth, destroy the earth. He's going to drown everything but one family. I have uh, another quick thing to add about that. Yeah, go for it. Which is, um, it might come up in Revelation, but when Abraham is talking to the two angels before they go to Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't God say that he doesn't judge the wicked and the righteous together? I mean, that if he wiped out the entire earth, well, that's that the would whole, imply... That's the whole idea of Abraham pleading, like, if there's, if there's right. righteous people, will you spare the city? And God, like, they have this, this deal. If there's ten, that's where they get he, to. Right. I'll spare... They, there wasn't ten. So that would, you know, corroborate the idea that there weren't ten righteous men on the earth and those prior that to were, the flood. And those that were righteous in the eyes of God... He preserves, which is Noah, his wife, and his three sons. Right. Who are not perfect people. By any means. But they believe God. Um, so you have this really interesting dynamic, this interesting earth, this interesting looking world. And I, and I, again, I don't think that this is a leap from what the text itself is saying. Uh, you get to Jude. <clears throat> you know, Jude has some interesting things. In fact, Justin, if you could pull up Jude where we're told about the angels that are that are reserved in judgment. Um, and, and Jude also brings up Enoch. Jude, this weird book, small little book, at the end of the Bible, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a couple things that you should probably need some clarity on. Let me tell you a little bit more about Enoch. And he was a prophet of the end times. Right. The tiniest bit about Enoch, by the way. Right. What chapter in Jude? Right. The, the only chapter in Jude. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Trick question. Um you know, Enoch, and then and then the angels that left their proper abode. That's the, the passage. You have it yet? Yeah. Yeah, read for it. I'll start from verse 5. Uh, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain 
but left their abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Let me keep going. No, I think I think that's it. So it gets it gets even better. Read it, read it then. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So and again, I think that's great a great point. So Jude links a few ideas. You know, people will talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and say that God dealt dramatically with Sodom and Gomorrah because they were gay. I mean, I mean, you'll hear that. You'll hear pastors that will say, it's actually the root that we get sodomizing from Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. And that they saw these men and they wanted to have sexual relations with these men. Um, that might be true. There might be an element to that. I, I think it's way more devious, which explains why God deals so dramatically with Sodom and Gomorrah in the context, and then provides us a little bit more clarity, why God dealt so dramatically with, uh, with this pre-flood world. What was really going on in Sodom and Gomorrah that God was, that had to judge like this? Seems to be, again, according to Jude, they were going after strange flesh. Meaning what? These, the, the men of Sodom recognized that the two angels were angels. They were angelic beings. And what did they want to do? They wanted to commit the same sin of the pre-world flood. They wanted to have sexual interaction with angelic beings, strange flesh. And, and we're told that any angel that does this, there's a special place that they're reserved for. You know, again, not to get off on a crazy tangent, but you, you start studying the occult. Do you know how much sexual interactions in, with the occult, um, like sex with demons is still a thing? Aaron, I see your reaction. You want to jump in there? Oh, it's, I, I'm just... It's good to hear you talking about it because uh, I've gone down that rabbit hole a little bit just in, in terms of study and in the, in the spiritual side of things. And, and there's there's a ridiculously heavy prevalence. And and, and it goes back to, to, you know, as far back as this. It, there's, there's sexual deviancy. Mm -hmm. and, and you also find that there's a lot of child sexual deviancy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, equated to it from child sacrifice to actual child rape. Um, man, I, you know, not to, not to get crazy... You watch some 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 of these trans pro transgender videos on X, which is Twitter. I used it properly. It's <laughs> X now, not Twitter. But like libs of TikTok, uh, um, or gays for groomers, gays against groomers. Like they post videos of like videos that people have actually recorded and posted on the internet, talking about kids, and you look at them and and the. The first thought I have in mind, they're, they're totally demonic. Yeah. Like possession demonic. Um, I could send you a hundred videos in the next hour of where you're like, that person is demon possessed. Mm -hmm. It's the only explanation for this. This is wicked and wrong. So, so you have this passage in Jude, which seems to link God's dramatic judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, not necessarily over homosexuality, but over sex with angels. So, which then I, ties back to yeah, I think it goes knowing the flood, calling these people demon possessed. But I don't think, I don't think God, God didn't destroy the earth because all the people were demon possessed. He didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because they were demon possessed. I think the depths of their depravity had reached such levels that are exhibited by this sexual deviancy. That like the sexual deviancy is just a 
is just the, the it's a symptom. Tip, it's a or symptom, it's a, and and that I think that's the most. It's a sore, a visible sore of a disease underlying that that's incurable, other than just completely wiping it out. I mean, Maybe yes and no, yes and no. So okay, let's provide a little clarity. The difference between an angel and a demon. I, I see where you're going, and I, I didn't want to get into that without. Well, I'll, I'll just very but, quickly. It, it's, it doesn't have to be a prolonged conversation, mm-hmm. but so angels, they're all angels. So if we're talking about the categories of creation, God is uncreated. Angels are created. Now, we don't know exactly what day or when in the, the order of things they were created, but they're created beings. They're not, you know, they don't live forever. They're not infinite. They were created. Um, and the same way that humanity was created. Now, they're different. Humanity, unlike the angelic being, was created in the image and likeness of God. Angels, again, in Hebrews talks about this in the first couple chapters. We talk about angels in their place with, with, with mankind. But they're both created. Now, we're told that angels of, of the created angelic order, you have the angelic host of God, and you have fallen angels of which Lucifer is, I believe, the only named fallen angel. You have two named angels, and that being... Um, Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel, Gabriel and Michael. Uh, you have different classifications of the angelic host, which would be applicable to all divisions from uh, cherubim to seraphim, etc. Um, my point is that angels have the ability to take on human form. Demons seem to, again, you get to the New Testament in particular. Demons seem to be something different than an, than an angel. An angel doesn't long for a body. It has one. Now, that body can transform, but there's no reference of, of an angel needing, there's no reference of, of, of fallen angels possessing anyone. Demons possess, and demons, according to Jesus, seem to have this, like, just deep longing necessity for some type of embodiment to the point that like when Jesus is going to cast out legion from uh, the individual, they, they, they cast this into the swine, right? They have to have some physical capacity. They're disembodied spirits. It seems. So what in the world is it? Cause they're not fallen angels. They're demons. But where is this in the pecking order? Now you get to Noah's flood. We'll fast forward it. God destroys humanity. Let's say you have, Fallen angels having sex with human women, producing another category of humanity now. We, we have individuals that are part angel, part man. Now the flood happens. Everyone dies. But what dies? Because with those particular individuals, the humanity part of them dies. The physical matter of them dies. They drowned the woman, but the divine angelic nature, you can't drown an angel. Like an angel is not subject, like to be killed. They're immortal. So could it be that that third category of angels, you have humanity, but this third category of these, these, the, the, the offspring of angels and humans, what, what are the Nephilim is what you would call them. Could it be that the Nephilim that died in the flood, of which are many, 
I mean, just the genealogy, like the, the pre-flood world could have numbered easily 6 billion people. My dad and I, when I was in high school, we, we ran the math on it once. Like taking like how long could you, could you multiply and you're living to 900 years, et cetera. I mean, you could have a hugely populated area. I think that the people that died that were the Nephilim become demons. They are disembodied spirits longing for some type of capacity. Which is why you have so much demon possession, but there's a place reserved in judgment for them, which is why maybe you don't have as much today as you did in Jesus' time because 2,000 more years have passed. Anyway, the point being is that you have this crazy, this crazy world. And I just want to read a little bit further because verses 9, 10, uh, um, verse 12. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt. And then note this, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Again, then that fit the description of all of this. So God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Note, God's specifically wanting to destroy them. There's a, an intention here. And then he gives the, the description of the ark. He says, Behold, I'm bringing, verse 17, floodwaters on the earth to destroy under heaven all flesh. I will establish my covenant with you. You should take your wife, your sons, your sons' wives, every living thing. God talks about the two by two. Build this boat. Now, understand. And then God gives him the blueprints for it. And like, do this thing. It takes him 120 years to do it. Now, now Noah, when God comes to Noah, is like, hey, Noah. And I love the fact that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Like, there was nothing about Noah that necessitated favor. This is unmerited favor. He's declared in Hebrews 11 to be a righteous man, a man of faith. But his faith was demonstrated in his obedience. God comes to Noah and says, hey, bud. I'm going to destroy the earth. Excuse me? Um, how are you going to do that, God? I'm going to flood it. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> flood, duh. Should have saw that coming. Exactly what's a flood? <laughs> because, again, keep in mind, this has never happened before. Because we don't have rain. So God's like, oh, well, a flood is when it rains too much, water accumulates, you know, wash it. Oh, the rain causes the flood. That's, uh, I sh should have seen that coming. Um, oh, what's, what, what, what's the rain? Oh, it's when water droplets start falling out of the sky. Like, this is the trippiest thing that Noah has ever heard in his life. Okay, okay, I get it. So, so, so water is going to start falling from the sky it's going to create water that's going to cover the earth. Um, people will drown. So ex exactly, how are you you're going to make a boat? A, a what now? A boat. What will this boat do? It will float on the water. Like, again, imagine, this is the trippiest thing you've ever heard. And yet God's like, you're going to go build it. And I'm going to save, you know, the animals, save humanity. I have a plan. Like, this is... And Noah obeys. And for 120 years, he's ridiculed. Like, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. For what? The rain. The what? 
is going to cause a flood. A flood? Because God's destroying everyone. I can't even think off the top of my head like an equivalent, you know, of like if that happened right now. You know? I mean, it, it's, it's such a bizarre thing. And, and Noah, this whole story, and sure enough, God brings the animals. He builds the boat. It's a thing. Side plug. Uh, there is an actual life-sized replica of Noah's Ark on planet Earth in Kentucky. Yes, there is. Go check it out. Uh, Ken Ham Creation Institute built an ark. Fun fact, <laughs> that structure is the largest timber frame structure on planet Earth. Really? It's all timber. It is built to spec as they figured Noah would do it. That's wild. Built by the Amish. That an, tracks. An Amish company came in. Dude, they don't, there's no screws. It's all wooden pegs. Yeah, I haven't like, been there yet. There's no metal bracketing. It is the largest timber frame structure on that's ever been made, other than maybe the, like the original one. I haven't been there yet. I've, I, I, was, I, I went there and saw the land when they had it marked out. Oh, yeah. And I could only like imagine how big it was because they had like stakes in the ground, kind of marked out. Like you have to park where you can't see it, and then take a tram up to it. Oh, really? And when you round the corner, you're like, "Wait, what?" (laughs) Like it's there's nothing that prepares you. Like the pictures don't prepare you for how gigantic the thing is, and uh. Just don't get COVID there. Why not? Yeah, that yeah. That's that's where you got. Yeah, you can go back yeah, to past episodes about the COVID. Yeah. You know what would have been terrible? Go visit the Ark and then ten days later meet Noah. <laughs> I t- wasn't expecting that turn of events, right? Hey, I just visited your boat in Kentucky. Good job. What's man. a Kentucky? Yeah, what's a Kentucky? <laughs> anyway. So, you have this crazy story. They're on the boat for a while. The waters, I mean, just, just gnarly. Will, will land reappear? What will that look like? What will the earth be? They, they dock, send out the birds. They bring back vegetation. They land on Mount Ararat, right? Which should be a whole nother episode because I got like satellite images from the late 40s of Noah's Ark. Yeah. Um, on top of Mount Ararat. Broken in half is slidden down. Verse 11 of chapter 9. Let me get to this. God's talking to Noah. He says, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's a good promise. I'm not going to do this again. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. This is an everlasting covenant. I set my rainbow in the cloud and that shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant 
which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I'll look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, understand that because of the dynamic of the earth, there had never been a rainbow before this moment. Because again, if you have a canopy of water vapor and the way that this all, like you need rain for the, the rainbow. You know, the, the way that the water and light fragments and the prism to be, be revealed. Like when the rainbow is, in, this is the first time in human history, global history, a rainbow. And God said, this is my sign. I'm making this covenant. I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. Now, he will say he'll destroy the earth with fire. That was in the margins. It's, very, it's a very different idea. It was the con- the contract was like, I won't do it with water. I'll do it with fire. Burn it to the ground. But there is this covenant, the Noahic covenant, that God says every time you see a rainbow in the sky, that is a reminder. It's interesting. It's not just a reminder to man of the covenant, but the language God says, I will remember. It's a reminder to God. Meaning that the more rainbows God sees, the more he needs to be reminded that he's not going to judge the world and destroy everyone. Just yet. Now, here's the fun thought. Justin, I had you do a little bit of reading during the the break of the origins of the rainbow flag. Um, How did the rainbow flag come to be? So it was in San Francisco of course, uh, <laughs> back in like the seventies. Uh, and basically the, some guy named milk Harvey milk yeah. was a, the mayor. He was, a, he was like Francisco. assassinated or something. Yes. Uh, but before that he commissioned this one other guy, uh, what was his name? They needed, they needed some rallying. Like they, this was needed, early homosexual yeah. propaganda, not propaganda, but, um, uh, what's the right word? Branding, not just branding. Ad- advocacy. Yeah, it's, that's, so, that's a better word. Yeah. Basically, uh, he commissioned this guy named Gilbert Baker uh, to create a symbol uh, for uh, the homosexual community, uh, and he threw out the rainbow with not not really for any other reason other than it had multiple colors that could represent different groups or something. There's not really any clear. You can't find anything online yeah. that states the exact origins or, or not, not origins, motivations or inspiration. Right. And I doubt I will be able to find No, no, anything, you can't because so. I, I have. I've, I've researched this before. I, I just want to say, can you imagine? So we just read it. Genesis 9, God's like, this rainbow is the sign of my covenant that I'm not going to destroy the world and judgment with a flood. It's a reminder of my grace and my mercy. And now I feel weird to have my kids draw a rainbow flag or like a rainbow thing and post it in the way because it's become synonymous with homosexuality. And it's just an accident. Can you imagine real quick? 
Can you imagine if Harvey Milk and what was his name again? Gilbert Baker. Gilbert Baker. Something Baker, definitely. And they were like, hey, we got this new symbol for our movement. And it was the crescent moon of Islam. <laughs> Can you imagine if they borrowed any other symbol from a religious persuasion? And like, we're, we're co-opting this. This is now the symbol of our sexual lifestyle, which, by the way, stands in direct opposition to what the biblical scriptures have to say. Again, I'm not saying, like, have some symbol or do something, but it's not an accident that this is what was chosen. Why? Because it is a direct insult. And that's what Satan does. Satan mars what God finds to be sacred, doesn't he? Does that with humanity. He does that in so many ways. But just the fact, I, I was, again, I just was thinking about it. The other, can you imagine if they were like, yeah, we're going to take as our banner something, steal some symbol of the Islamic community. And yet Christians are just fine with handing over something that is, like, we should be outraged. We should be offended. We should have an actual beef not saying like you can't have some symbol, but you're taking a religious, a, a religious image. It'd be like take. It's like it's like I get insulted when I see someone take like the inverted cross. Because they're they're directly articulating a point, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Like they're saying something. Yeah, but like for me. Uh Oh, do you know what's I, one? What, I don't get. I don't really get offended because I'm not the one they have to worry about offending. Well, that's true. That that's a valid point, and, that, and that's usually what I tell them because they they look at me and they do stuff to look at for my reaction. I'm like, why are you worried about me? I'm not the one that can destroy your soul. <laughs> so I it it's they're they're trying to offend God, not us. Yeah, yeah but I, I can be offended on behalf of God. I yeah. what'd you say, Creighton? I can be offended on behalf of God. Yeah. Like I, I follow the same with you. I'm very, I'm not a very reactive person most of the time, um, but I get what Zach means. Like mm -hmm. it is, like if, like, this is a bit strong. And Muslims this one would have a big problem with the crescent moon. Like, right? I mean, you can even take it a step further to the like, uh, what do they call themselves? Uh, uh, liberal, liberal Christians, not like. Christians who like socialized healthcare, but like progressive, that's the word, Pro like progressive Christianity. Every now and then you'll see them and they'll be in like a very faux Catholic getup with a lot of rainbows on it. And I'm not Catholic, but I'm like, come on, like, what are you doing? Everything that you're saying oh, is the transgender nuns. Yes. It's like everything that you were saying is a, against the thing that you're wearing of stuff. Right. Uh, what do you I'm expect, just saying that it makes sense. For people to feel a certain way right. about it. And I understand that, but like, what do you expect a non believing world and unbelievers to do? Also true. But that's, but that's my point is that it is the mockery of it that should be insightful to the, to the, the, the motivation of it. Like, the rainbow flag is this like innocent thing, and like, people hang it in schools. You can't hang a Christian flag in a school. You can't hang a Muslim flag in a school, but oh, they can hang the rainbow flag in a school when its origins and its essence is making a mockery of a divine covenant of God. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, 
why is that okay? Why is that permissible? Why shouldn't I say, you know, you can do what you want, but you just told me what you are. And for those that think like the, the gay lobby is some innocent new civil rights movement, no, there's something demonic behind it. And I will call it demonic because they're intentionally using a biblical image that God instituted all the way back in the context of everything we've been talking about, where it's like the demons are like, yeah, we want God to know we're taking his symbol about our, our stuff. It just, it, it, again, the civil liberties thing is fine. You can do what you want. Am I going to get offended? Am I going to be upset with you? No, it just, it should I, tell you something about the person. Right, right. And I, I don't think, I think that's the, the issue. Like, I'm not going to be offended, but I should be telling them what they're getting into. They're they're asking for the wrath of God by doing that, and I and I think you see that biblically, where you know you have the yeah. people warning these people, the wrath of God's coming unless you repent of this, and and opening mocking God is is gonna bring his judgment, and, and I think that's that's the where I stand on it is is you're not gonna offend me, I. It doesn't matter if you offend me or not, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It it matters if you're offending God because he's the one that he's the only one that can do something about it. Aaron, jump in here. What are your thoughts? You're kind of the youngest of the group. You come from mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. I actually read an article um that so resonated with what I've what I have felt about um the cultural changes that have happened in America. Mm-hmm. Like how old are you? Twenty five. So you're 25, Creighton, you are 30, 30. 25, 30, you're 30, almost 38. And I just turned 40. So you and I, you and I are, we, 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 we don't have a generation. We're zenials. We don't have a generation. We, we can, we understand a little bit of both, uh-huh. but we're, we're like the group of people. I didn't grow up with a cell phone. I didn't grow up with the internet. I didn't grow like, like the world I grew up in is so radically different than Creighton the world you grew up in, but then social media changes. Mm-hmm. Right. The, because I, I can remember when my parents got their first cell phone, like the five years between you to Aaron. It's big. Five years It's a big five years. So that's why I, I, I think it's cool to have you on the show because you bring, I don't want to like label you a Gen Zer or like anything. Oh, he's stupid. a zoomer for certain zoomer or whatever. I don't like, who cares? Like you are, you're, you're Aaron Mott. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. you, your own man. But you have a totally different, like you grew up in a normalization of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What are your thoughts about this particular topic? Just from, from that angle, you think anybody that ever paints a rainbow on whatever they're thinking about that at all? No, absolutely not. And, and I think that's, it's a huge, there's a huge divide there when you talk about, you know, like the, the gap in our generations, um, it's it's really from from the perspective of my generation, at least from what I've seen, it's very one sided and an us against them sort of way. And it's everybody, you know, in this generational category or everybody above this age threshold, whatever, you know, most likely has these certain beliefs and they are not hip with, you know, where we're at and they are not progressive. And they're I mean, uh, you know, it's often an, an anti-religious connotation They're They're religious and we're not. We're past that. We're smarter than that, whatever. Um, and so it has definitely been not only a normalization, but a, a promotion in, in the circles that I'm in of, of this sort of lifestyle. And, you know, 
you say, do people think about this sort of stuff? Absolutely not. It's it's very face value, absent minded sort of thing. But but at the same time, going back to what you said about, you know, hanging these flags, the rainbow flags in schools um, when we wouldn't hang, you know, religious flags or whatever. I, I think another huge element that people are forgetting is that this this nature, the flag specifically as, as a symbol it's very sexual in nature. It, it has to do with your sexuality, you know, what you define as, what you're attracted to, whatever. Um, but what place does that have in schools? Anywhere to do with children? What, why are we pushing this on children? Why is this being promoted as a, you know, cultural lifestyle with children? Why does it have anything to do with children? I, I, I would completely agree with you. You know, the thought, you know, the, the Creighton, Oh, not, not not just great, but just I think you'll you'll sympathize with this. For our age group, there was like this big cultural movement that like stigmatized hardcore the 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 idea of um being evangelistic. Um, like the idea of 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 trying to convince somebody else that your belief was superior, like actual practical evangelism was completely stigmatized, frowned upon. It also gave rise to the seeker friendly movement, which had a different agenda, but like, like Christians were told were screamed, don't evangelize. Like you do your thing. That's fine. We'll do our thing. That's fine. We just don't want to hear your crap. Like, leave us alone. That was the that was the deal. That was what the world was saying to the church. You believe this? That's fine. We can be friends. Just shut up. That's what it was. Just shut up. Don't evangelize us. You can't evangelize at work. Don't evangelize at school. You know, just go with it. You have your beliefs. Hold them. That's fine. But but trying to convince somebody else, that'll get you fired. That'll get you ostracized. That'll get you kicked out of school. You can't do that. And you know what happened? Christianity went along with it. Yep. Because it's like, well, we can be at peace. Move along to get along. We can be at peace. But what has happened, what's been revealed is the motivation to shut up Christians from evangelizing was to create a vacuum so the other side could evangelize. Because everything the gay lobby does, we were told 20 years ago that was inappropriate. Mm Mm-hmm. And bigoted. There was no peace. This is the thing I I brought up in Judges. Like, you try to make peace. Like, your spiritual life is a life of warfare. It'll always be that. You saying that just reminded me of this, like, I guess it was a TikTok. I don't have TikTok, so I watch it like every other adult on uh, Instagram. Uh, So I I watched this video and this dude going around interviewing, obviously a super liberal person he's like how do you, do you think it's okay to transition children and she goes yeah uh, before he finished the sentence to christianity and she goes <gasps> right. <laughs> right right like and right. she was all on board until he said that and then then it was it was uh so yeah i, I think I well know. it goes it goes to the bit like the biggest problem i have with republicans is that we believe that the Dem- democrats are playing the same game that there are rules. We shouldn't impeach Biden because, you know, we got to be bigger than that. They they don't care. Like, there's no, like, you're playing with rules when the other side is playing with no rules at all. They just care about winning. 
and you care about having rules and being liked, and you're going to lose over and over and over again. We care about election integrity. The other side doesn't give a flip. They care about winning. And until you like, we're going to win. And it's like within, within the Christian world, it's like, well, we, we want to make peace. We want to do, there is no peace. There is, um, there's the truth stands alone. I remember speaking about the, the feeling that evangelizing is wrong, at least in a public manner. Like I definitely remember that growing up. And I actually remember when I stopped feeling that way. I can think about it. It was at, when I was in college at the BCM, um, do you know who Penn and Teller is? They're a comedy duo. It's a okay. big guy with long black hair yeah, and a yeah. short guy with short brown hair who doesn't talk. Like that's their part of their bit is that I think it's Penn is the tall guy. He talks all the time and gotcha. short guy talk. Anyway. Like you and I. Kinda, yeah, except I talk sometimes. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was this video of Penn, and it's just like a it's a, you know, early mid two thousands vlog style where it's very dark and he might be shirtless and it's like a camera very close to his face as he's talking it's probably 10 minutes um and he's an atheist but the whole 10 minutes he is talking about how selfish and hateful it would be if you truly believed that someone's going to get hit by a truck and you didn't tell them right and he equates that to evangelism like you if you because we believe in jesus we honestly believe these people are going to hell it's beyond Jesus. We believe in hell. We believe in hell. So it would be, so he has this whole, it's probably 10 minutes long. And he, like I said, he's an atheist. He uses a lot of curse words. If you can find it on YouTube, it's worth a watch. It's fascinating to see how his mind works around see, it. See, to me, what's, um, what's so enlightening is if you were to go to work, sit down with a coworker, and be like, hey, I want you to know that this is the, mo- this is the only appropriate belief in marriage between one man and one woman for life. You would get fired. Mm -hmm. If someone comes in and says, Hey, I want to tell you that love is love and anyone can love whatever you make your own moral position. That's fine. Again, the, the goal was to shut you up. So that the vacuum can be filled with the falsehood. Yep. I think that only works for so long, and you're starting to see the repercussions of that. You're seeing it now with Bud Light, for instance, Budweiser in general. They've lost 30% profit. They're selling off beer. They're selling off. They've lost so many. And so I think we're reaching a a tipping point. And I'm not just talking about uh, believers here. I'm talking about natural cultures because in most cultures homosexuality and 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 taboo uh sexual preferences are are anathema like they kill people they throw them off roofs in in the middle east for for doing it uh and 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 so i think you're seeing a tipping point of 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 this cultural oh i i it'll be interesting to see where it goes and that's yeah i want to have that conversation i think i think as a christian though it's it's you have to warn people of the judgment to come I remember telling my uh, one of my friends, I was like, he wasn't believe, he's not a believer, and I was just like, listen, I'm not going to be your friend and not tell you at least one time. After I tell you, it's on you. Hmm. And and yeah. and I think that's basically what we have to do. Let let me bring it one step further, which I think might wrap it up a little, land a plane, so to speak. Is 
I think I want to make a T-shirt that has the rainbow flag, and it's is Genesis nine through it. I'd wear that T-shirt yeah. as a conversation piece of like, hey, your lifestyle is your lifestyle, but can we talk about what that actually means? This is way before your movement started, and we can talk about God's judgment. We can talk about His grace. We can talk about transformation, new identities in Christ. We can talk about and say, let me ask, this is a question that should be asked. Why do you think that the movement you're a part of chose that symbol? Do you think that there's maybe something demonic behind that? Anti-God behind that? Blasphemous behind that? And if so, what should that reveal to you about what you're trying to be a part of? Because you think Satan has a good will for you? You think he cares? The Bible tells us he's only seeking to... to, to kill, steal, steal kill, and destroy. And destroy. And so why shouldn't we, I think, be more provocative? And be like, that's not your symbol. And the fact you're taking it, commandeering it, reveals something we should discuss. I guess that's kind of my point. We went all over the place, Creighton. Yeah, Thanks I wanted for that to have, topic. I wanted to have a fun conversation about the end of the world, but, I mean, no, that's what we did. that was great. And that's not a rainbow, that by the was, way, that's not a rainbow flag on your shirt. That's a trout. Yes, it sure is. It's a rainbow trout. It's flag. a rainbow trout. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it absolutely we is a rainbow trout. We just tied it that's all together. Hilarious. I've heard they're delicious. I don't think I've ever eaten them though. You know, I don't know if I have. Aaron, what, what are massive. your thoughts? Final thoughts. You give a mouse a cookie, man. Evil, evil is never satisfied. So be provocative. Stand up against it. And it's okay, right? It's okay to stand for truth. Absolutely. I think we we bought into the lie that we shouldn't vocalize. Well, man, the world tells us not to evangelize, but Scripture tells us to go and evangelize and make disciples of all the nations. Amen. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Amen. I completely agree with you. Even with those shorts on. Even with the shorts. (laughs) Spice Daddy, what you got? I don't remember the original question, but there's lots of info out there on uh, different cultural... Uh, things of the flood. Uh, I guess final thought: God's judgment, final judgment is coming. I uh, hope you're ready. It's true. Great. I have uh, one last thought. Yeah. Anybody online? We get any any interactions? Um, we do. We had. Uh, I think this is from earlier. Jennifer asked if our if jams are coming back. I assume that that is what she's calling his shorts. I've Honestly, never heard that, them that had jams. to have been the most relevant question in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Are they coming back, Jams? I, I don't know. I found these at, the, at, a, at a thrift store. So nice. I can't tell you. I don't know. Um, Makes sense. Hit. We also have a hello from Rachel and Miss Ann, as well as Josh telling me that I have a fresh hat, which oh, he's not Josh about. Brown. Yes, he was in it. this. He's got like his ears tickle every time you, you rock the hat. <laughs> his ears burn. Also, I need to make a quick correction. Uh, the, the background on these letters is not a rainbow trout. It's actually way cooler. Each letter is the belly pattern from a different fish. How do you know that? I like to make fishing lures, and you paint those to look like fish. Oh, you actually know that. Oh, yeah, that one's a pike. Or someone didn't leave that That one's a rainbow trout. like Seth dropped in and be like, no, that's not that the That one's a bass. That one's a salmon. It's really cool. I didn't notice that when I put is the shirt on. Is there a word for like a nerd fisherman kind of thing? No, that's me, but I like biology in all ways. Fisher nerd. Uh, a Seth. <laughs> that's a really, Seth. It's really cool. Yeah, Dark Waters is his fly fishing company up in the UP. He's a pastor. He pastors the Calvary Chapel in Iron River, Michigan. 
and uh, he makes a living doing fly fishing expeditions. I just like how he has Sasquatch on this. I think that I'm one's a big blue Sasquatch fan. I know you are. We, we didn't get to that we tonight. Didn't. I know I'm you're a little, a little disappointed. Dis- I am disappointed. Yeah, I know. I have some great Bigfoot theories. You I sure know. do. On that note, we're going to bounce. You got anything else, Gray? No, sir. All right, I'm going to hit the music. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. If you are watching the Outlaw Radio Show, check out our podcast, What You've Been Watching. The audio gets released tomorrow on Thursday uh, as a podcast. Apple, Google, Spotify, just search Zach Adams or Outlaw Radio. You'll find it. Subscribe. Leave us a review. Pass it along. If you are listening to the audio, uh, check out the live stream. On Wednesday nights at 8 p.m., we live stream the Outlaw Radio Show on YouTube, outlawradio.live, as well as our Facebook page, uh, The Radio Outlaw. So check that out. So if you're watching, listen. And if you're listening, watch. Regardless, join us next week.